Hello and welcome to our viewers and subscribers on cruxinvestor.com and also to our YouTube channel and of course our podcast listeners on Cruxcast. Uh, we're talking today with John Dorwood, who's the CEO of Rocks Gold. They're a West African gold producer. How you doing, John? Hey, how are you? Very well, thanks. Yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, where, where are you today? I'm in Toronto, you know, our head off in Toronto. Excellent, excellent. Well, look, I always start off when I get uh, people that give us a two-minute overview of the business, and then we'll kind of get stuck into some questions. Sure. So at Rocks Gold, we are uh, a gold mining company. We operate the Yaramoko Gold Project in Burkina Faso. So we're listed on the TSX. We d discovered Yaramoko, put it into production in 2015, sorry, 2016, and have been operating it ever since. And we just acquired our first sort of a growth project, and we acquired the Seguela project in Cote d'Ivoire from Newcrest, uh, and we closed that a, a month ago. Very good. Well, well done. So, um, just get into. So, tell us a little bit about the Burkina Faso asset, you know, you, you, and uh, what you've got going on there at the moment. At the moment. Certainly. So, Rocks Gold discovered and uh, developed the Yaramoko Gold project. It was discovered in 2011 and brought into production in 2016. So, five years from the first discovery hole to first bar of gold, which I think really speaks highly for the jurisdiction of Burkina Faso. The project itself is, is technically very straightforward. It's a high-grade underground mine. To date, over the last three years, we've, we've mined approximately 350,000 ounces at a grade of 13.5 grams, so a genuinely high-grade operation. Very high recoveries, uh, and it's uh, been very low cost, very low operating costs and, and very low oil and sustaining costs, which have allowed us to really have some really impressive financial results and build up a, a really strong treasury. So, and just tell me on that. I mean, that's, that's kind of interesting. So, it's, it's an underground operation, yet you've got a relatively low cost of production. How, how have you managed that? Look, really, it's 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 all about the first and foremost the grade. Uh, the second is the geometry, and then third is probably the mineralization style. So, on the first hand, first first point, you start off with very high grade. So, the in situ value of each ton of rock that we mine. Is, is very high. I mean, approximately, I guess, around the four to $500 per tonne of rock per, you know, for the, for the grade of gold. We have an operating, a cash operating cost in the vicinity of around $150 per tonne. So that can give you a feel for the, the very high operating margins that we enjoy. In terms of geometry, the ore body is very steeply dipping, which lends itself very nicely to, uh, to mining underground. It's, it's quite difficult sometimes to mine flat lying ore bodies but when they're steeply dipping, they you tend to blast them and they fall exactly where you want them to fall, so you can then mine it out. And then third really is the, uh, the mineralization. It's hosted in a very competent granite. If uh, the genesis of the ore body was really a big granite, was torqued and it sort of twisted. And granite, whilst very competent, is, is very brittle, so it cracks open. If you get a sort of a crack opening up and then sort of the mineralizing fluid sort of oozing through that, uh, depositing a gold project, so we're sitting very competent rock where we uh, where we mine the ore body. That's interesting. That's interesting. Let's come back to that in a second. I, you know, what I want to start with is tell us a little bit about you. You know, what what have you trained us, and you know, what do you do within the organisation? Sure. So I'm the president and CEO of Rocks Gold, and have been in here for about six years. Um, I have a finance background. By by uh, by um, my background has been in finance. I was the CFO of a couple of companies. 
a corporate development background as well. And also, uh, and prior to that, I've, uh, I was a project finance lender before I uh, joined the White Hats and got on the good side. Right. So who, who's the technical guy on the team? So my, uh, my partner in crime is probably is Paul Criddle. He's our chief development officer. Paul and I have been together for about 12 years now uh, and built several gold mines in West Africa. Paul's a very experienced uh, deliverer of projects. He's got a really core strength at that. And he and I have been, uh, I think, uh, formed a pretty good team. So, so here are the, what are the projects you've worked on together? So we, uh, we worked on the Sabadala Gold Project in the mid-2000s. So we built Sabadala and brought that that and brought that into production. That's now the flagship operation of Taranga Gold, also listed right. here on the And then yeah. and I uh, built Yaramoko together, which is uh, 55 zone, and the Bagasi South Mine. Right, okay, okay. Interesting, interesting. And, and any other notable um, individuals on the team that we should be aware of in terms of West African experience? So we've got a very strong roster, I think, and certainly in the senior management ranks. Uh, Paul Whedon is our Vice President of Exploration. Uh, Paul joined us last year after eight years as, uh, as the 2IC of geology for Newmont in West Africa, uh, and with five years experience prior to that with Anglo Gold Ashanti. So Paul's 13 years living in West Africa, looking at all the projects, working on some of the really the world-class projects that Anglo Gold and Newmont own over there. So deep experience. Vince Pupo is our Chief Financial Officer. Uh, he joined us. He's uh, got a lot of experience working at BHP and Newcrest, so far-flung parts of the world for those two large organisations. And Ian Cox is our uh, uh, Chief Operating Officer, and he's uh, spent a lot of time on the, pro the project. He also comes out of Newmont in Ghana and another range of other projects around the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of West African names uh, here. Is Vince the reason that you went into Cote d'Ivoire? Um, so Cote d'Ivoire is an interesting project. So we've been sort of looking at that property for a long time. The, the, the company that originally owned it before Newcrest was, uh, was run by a former colleague of mine, Nick Castleman, where we worked together at MPI Mines. Uh, he, he enticed Newcrest into a joint venture there. And subsequently, the joint venture made the discovery of the antenna deposit at Seguela. So we'd been keeping an eye on it, but it certainly didn't hurt that uh, the former general manager of mergers and acquisitions from Newcrest was working for Roxgold at the time. Yeah, <laughs> I bet, I bet. Um, so if I, if I look at what you've got, I mean, you're a $300 million market cap, you know, so you're doing something right, clearly, okay. And there was a tough year in the market for lots of people, but gold particularly, and you, you seem to be, you know, a bit below where you were a year ago, but not, not far off the mark. So if you're looking back over the last year, what were your challenges did, and did you see them coming? No, like, uh, well, you try and anticipate problems, but you're not always successful. And I, and I think like many, many challenges that catch people and have a significant impact, they're hard to, uh, it's hard to anticipate. Probably one of the most significant challenges we faced was, uh, was a sort of a dislocation of our share registry. Um, if you, and I take the point about the, the share trading. If you go back about 12 months to June of 2018, M&G, um, which is a, a large fund manager out of the UK, part of the Prudential, was our second largest shareholder in their precious metal. And uh, I woke up one morning to see that they'd announced that they had lost the mandate for the majority of that fund and they were shifting it to Wellington. Uh, and subsequently that fund turned into a, from a precious metals fund into a a global cyclicals fund, which I'm still wondering what that means, but I knew it didn't sound like it was very positive for us. And, and 
not making light of the situation, really from that point in June to February of this year, that was overweighing our stock sitting above us because you had approximately, I think, 26 to 27 million shares that I think most market participants and correctly in the end assumed uh, would, be, uh, would be hitting the market at some point. Uh, they subsequently were traded in February as a big block and seen that, uh, that sort of that block find its way, I think, to more natural owners. So I think that's been helpful for us. We have, I think, bounced off our bottoms earlier this year. Those, those shares have gone to a lot of really strong hands, a lot of people who, you know, household names who are comfortable with the story. And I think we're, uh, we're feeling a lot better, but that was, a, that was a big challenge for us. And, I and think you, bought, you bought some yourself, obviously. We did too. So, so we actually, uh, um, back in last year, we actually approached Wellington in concert with some of our large shareholders and actually bid them for the stock uh, directly. Uh, it took a while to get an answer out of them, unfortunately, but uh, eventually they told us that they were holders uh, and looking to buy more, which I must admit I didn't really believe. And sure enough, they actually ended up selling the stock a few months later and selling it for quite a bit lower than what we were offering them. So maybe it's uh, it all works itself out in the end. But today, you know, after about eight or nine months of sort of a bit of dislocation, I think that's finally sorted out. Right. And so, but okay. So that that was some of the, that's some of the financial challenges you you, you faced. Talk to me about the some of the, the more technical components here, because obviously your your resource is you know it's, it's it's not huge, but it's very very high grade. Like you say, low ASIC, low um, uh, cash costs. But so what are the, what are the technical challenges you've identified and said? Look, we've got to get after this to change the shape of the company because if we don't we can see a problem coming down the line? Look, no, I think that's a very good question. I think for us, you know, and I go back to my earlier, earlier point, I mean, one of, the, one of the attributes of the deposit is its geometry and its very steeply dipping nature. That in turn provides challenges about drilling it out. So we actually have a challenge to maintain mine life at the 55 zone in particular, which is the very deep deposit. So we've actually traced the 55 zone, which expresses almost a surface down as deep as 1.1 kilometers from surface and we've done some surface drilling last or earlier this year, which was about, you know, hitting the ore body down at 1.1 kilometers. It's yeah. very difficult to infill drill that and add reserves at the appropriate spacing to do that. So we've seen sort of, we've mined through our, you know, mined down our reserves at 55 zone, but fortunately in the intervening period, we've discovered Bagasy South and drilled that out, put reserves on that, put it into production. So if you look at it from a whole project basis, whilst we've, mined the 55 zone down, we've brought Bagasy South in, and I think we'll be in the, basically in the same ballpark as when we started, even though we have mined a significant amount of ounces. So what's, what's that in terms of life of mine then? That's what, seven, eight years? Seven year mine life. We have a very good transit, you know, a very good record of converting inferred resources to measured and indicated. So I think we'll be able to continue. And going forward, I think, and this is one of the things we spend a lot of time talking to our investors about is next year, will be about 700 metres underground at 55 zone. And we've had one drilling platform at about 350 metres below surface, which we've drilled out some of that, a little bit of that inferred, but mainly conversion for production drilling. When we get to that 700 metre drill platform next year, around the middle of the year, we're planning a, a very significant drill program in the order of about 25,000 metres. We'll probably have four underground rigs going. And that's really designed to keep pushing our measured and indicated down, we'll be looking to convert inferred, and we'll also be looking to push that inferred envelope below 1.1 kilometres. So you need a little bit of patience. It's difficult for us to put it on paper, 
just because mm -hmm. of the debt. It's something that's uh, that's on a two-year cycle, and I think will look really good next year. But in the interim, Bagasy South has, has picked up the uh, the slack for us and has enabled us to maintain and increase production. Right. So that so that's picked up the slack for you in terms of the the, the resource measured, uh, inferred, etc. But in terms of the grades, are you are you going to be able to sustain the same high grade c content here, or I guess that's an unknown, but it's a difficult question. But you, you know, that's something you've got to be driving for, right? Well, if you look at our current technical report, the grade distribution is higher in the early years of the mine life, and we have mined some of that. So, and if you look at our most recent quarterlies, you can see the grade has actually come down. But again, fortunately, what's happened is our cost structure has come down markedly. I mentioned earlier that our cost per tonne is around $150 per tonne. That compares to about 12 months ago, it was over $200 a tonne. So as we've increased the production and the tonnage, we've actually dramatically decreased our costs. And we've got some, in some, some slides in our current presentation that show this. As that grade has moderated towards our life of mine grade, which is anticipated in our technical report, our cost structure has come down and our, our margin per tonne or per ounce has, uh, has pretty much stayed consistent. Yeah, I, I, th I think, look, I think that bet's impressive right? and you have make you make quite a good point of it in the presentation, you know, where you've driven down the, your um, your cash costs, your operating costs, um, but there's only so far you can go with that, okay? At, at some point, you're gonna need to get more ounces in the ground. Um, you've got a bit of cash in the bank at the moment. I know you've just, just acquired Cote d'Ivoire, are you look are you, and we can talk about that in a second but you know you, you can you can control you can you can't control grades but you can you, you can maybe acquire them uh, you can't control resource but maybe you can acquire it um, so what are, what are you doing to you know we talked earlier about the ability to maintain the company's position you know if you if the resource is dwindling obviously that's going to have an impact on people's perception share price all that sort of stuff so what are the things that you're doing to keep this going beyond just mine life? Well, I mean, and, that's a, and it's certainly it's a topic that we spend a lot of time on. So we actually have stepped out. We had a strategy session with our board uh, 12 months ago here in Toronto, and we sort of set out what we wanted to do as a company, and we've been starting to make those those steps to working towards that. You know, as a, as a nutshell, we wanted to show growth, and we yeah. wanted to show diversification of production. We realised that the Yaramoko, whilst it's an incredible cash machine, is a relatively compact operation. I think we will continue to make discoveries there, but you know, for a planning perspective, we need to step out beyond Yaramoko to offer growth. Now, growth is a word that's been around a lot within uh, within mining circles and, and gold mining yeah. companies in particular. Yeah. And, and I think we've, we've thought about this very carefully because it's very easy to go out and issue shares or spend money and in the pursuit of growth, you actually end up wasting wasting that and, and sort of losing your way. So we've we've set ourselves the target of being able to do this in a very very careful, considered fashion. And our goal is to offer our shareholders growing resources, growing reserves, growing cash flow, growing earnings on a per share basis. So we actually we haven't issued any shares for finance or acquisitions in the last four years. We've actually bought some of our shares back. So when a shareholder in Roxgold as, a, as an owner of the business, I want their, in, their entitlement to those key metrics, whether it be gold or earnings or cash flow, to actually increase over time, not be battling the continual increase in the, in the share count as more and more shares are issued to fund the growth. 
our business at Yarramoko in the last two years has actually generated enough cash that we could go out and buy our first growth asset for cash. Yep. The development of that, the expiration of Subwayla will be paid for with cash. And I'm fully confident that we can put that project into production without issuing a share from Roxgold. It'll be all done on retained earnings. Yeah, and that was, that was what, $20 million? So yes, so, so $20 million uh, paid, on the, paid to Newcrest, and then there's $10 yeah. million uh, upon first production. So that's a really good example to your question about you know, how do we grow resources. I think we're looking, we're maintaining the line, I think, at Yarramoko, and, and that and we'll continue to roll that forward, and, and there's very strong cash flows in the next five to six, six years. But we'll actually, I think we put out our new reserves and resource statement as a company, and that's the way we look at it, as a company, we'll be in the best shape we've ever been. I get, I get, I get that, and you like, and, and I think you know, going off and, and acquiring an asset is especially so close by in terms of you know optimizing um, the, you know the team there. There's not you get the um, de-risking of the the country risk component without necessarily being going to the other side of the world to do it. So it's very good, but at the same time, what what was the how many ounces were you buying in the ground there for twenty million bucks? So we so so we bought so first and foremost, it's a three thousand three hundred square kilometer land package. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been carefully curated by Newcrest over a number of years. They actually originally held about 20,000 square kilometres in Cote d'Ivoire and they've basically worked their way through yeah. the ground that's not prospective. So they've, they've given us 3,300 square kilometres. For context, in Burkina at Yarramoko, we have 270 square kilometres. So it's a much larger canvas for us to go looking, looking over. So we don't character, while we don't characterise ourselves as, as Greenfield's early stage explorers, uh, we do explore. We explore where we have assets in the ground. I think it's a, it's a big canvas that's a, enabled us to start looking at things on a bigger scale than what we have at Yarramoko. The actual asset of real interest is the Seguela package of ground, and that's anchored by the antenna deposit. Um, Newcastle has a jaw compliant resource out of a couple of years ago. At uh, it was four hundred and thirty thousand ounces at two three grams inferred. They subsequently did uh, some infill drilling at Antenna. They never published an updated resource, so we haven't been able to, to publish that. But what we have done in the period in the last few months is, is update that to 43101 compliance standards. And so basically we've drawn in a, a group of new holes and we will be issuing that in the next, uh, probably in early July uh, as part of our overall update. And what we've seen, or what we believe we'll see, is a very high conversion of inferred to indicated an increase in the overall ounces and a bump in grade. So I think what we're going forward is we've got a package of ground at Seguela, which is anchored by, you know, at, the sta- at this stage, call it half a million ounces. It'll probably in a mineable shape, we believe, of between two and a half to three grams per tonne at a modest strip ratio. And then the wider story is really the satellite deposits that we have around Seguela. So within five to 10 kilometres of the antenna deposit, uh, probably 20 targets that Newcrest has confirmed and we're in the process of drilling those now. So we, we started up the drill rigs a few weeks ago. The plan is that we will complete a preliminary economic assessment on Seguela with antenna providing the bulk of the feed and then look to add some of these satellite uh, pits in as, as additional feed for either increased production or additional mine life. So we're very excited. I think this is really the sleeper in our portfolio. It's going to get bigger and it's going to be, I think, a lot more, uh, lot more sort of uh, attractive than what people might have in their minds today. Right. So you, doing M and A is important. Obviously, you, you understand the restrictions of of, um, 
you know, your primary asset at the moment in terms of its, its longevity. Um, did you want to pay 20 million up front or, or was that that was the asking price and it's one of those cases of, you know, you take it when you can get it scenarios. Do you think you've got good value for money? Yes, so I mean, we wanted to pay, oh, we, we think we absolutely have great, great value for money. I think Newcrest, um, they, they know us pretty well and I think we probably could have made a case for them to take at least some of the acquisition in shares. We didn't really want to do that because we, you know, at the time our shares, and I think still to this day, our shares are deeply undervalued. So we prefer to use cash and, and keep that share count tight. So I think for $20 million with the 10 million on, the, uh, on production for what is going to be our next gold mine, I think it's a great deal. I think we will in, be able to, deter, to deliver a preliminary economic assessment later this year. So Q4 2019 which will show a project, and I believe the project will, will be in the realms of 80 to 100,000 ounces for up to eight to 10 years. That's our goal. So that that should be a, a very valuable asset for us and be worth multiple times the, the $20 million that we've invested to date. Right, and and so you're, obviously you're producing at the moment, you're, you're, your margins are great. Um, you know, you, you want the volumes to be higher, I, I, I get it. So how much cash are you producing on a, you know, a quarterly basis or annualized basis? So at the moment, so this first half of this year, 2019, we've been finishing up the Bagasy South uh, con construction. We had about $12 million worth of, uh, um, of pre-commercial -produ pre production capex to get through. So we've got through that now. So we, right. in the $20 million acquisition, we're anticipating having at the end of this year about $50 million in the bank. Um, okay. We, and we'll pay our debt down a bit more. So, so net cash should be in the region of about twenty to twenty-five million dollars. So, so Burkina Faso, that's that's self-funding at the moment, and will continue to be self-funding. No, absolutely. So, no, Burkina Faso is strongly, strongly cash generated. Brilliant. Okay, I was just thinking in terms of the the exploration program and any capex requirements ongoing, that, that will be self-funded in Burkina Faso. Yeah, we can generate. We generate enough cash to to, to pay our debt back to fund our exploration, fund our sustaining capital, and also put cash on the balance sheet. What's your total debt position at the moment, John, because uh, in, in terms of? At, uh, just over $30 million. About $30 million. Okay, so you're, it's, it's negligible in the scheme of things. Okay. And with Cote d'Ivoire, obviously, you're just, well, actually, on that point, how much data did you inherit? You said, you said that Newcrest had you know, done extensive work. I mean, you must be sitting on a very large data set, these five identified targets. So what's that worth? Well, so, so Newcrest had spent $21 million on the project um, to date. So basically, you know, from their perspective, they had a project, you know, and you have to remember that Newcrest is the third largest gold mining company in the world. And they have a sort of a target where they're looking for projects that have three to five plus million ounces. So they didn't see that at Seguela. And, you know, I understand that. What they've been able to do is, you know, explore a project and move it, move it up or move it out. And as far as they could see, so they got their money back from us and they get another 10 million upon production. So I think a pretty reasonable deal all around for us. It's very meaningful for us. I mean, we're looking at increasing our production by around 60 to 70% um, organically funded. So very meaningful for us. So I think it's really an issue, you know, an example of where the, the right owner has emerged from, from the situation. So, I mean, I've got to ask a question. You, you guys are your market cap's three hundred million bucks, which is great, right? You're you're meaningful, but if I look at a, a company 
won't name names. We've got a company around the corner in Ghana, market cap, a couple of hundred million bucks. They've got a five plus million ants resource, but no production. It's a different business model from yours. So you guys chose to get into production rather than try and scope out the, the region, as it were, and trying to understand what you've got. So can you just tell us about that thinking, that strategy? Why did you employ that? Uh, look, I mean, um, I mean, to be honest, is you know, there's a little bit of the the destiny is preset by the asset base. So, so if you have a a high grade underground gold mine that you can put into production for 110 million dollars on a 45 plus percent IRR, you sort of tempted to, you know, tended to go for it. I think with with projects that are very sizable uh, in the hands of junior companies that don't have production, the 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 issue that they face, and I've lived this dream myself in the past, is that you really are staring a lot of dilution in the face. And, and if the market conditions aren't conducive to that, then you can end up with a much larger share count. And, and whilst the project might be very large and the production profile very attractive, your shareholders can end up owning a diminishing uh, part of that resource and, and ultimately the price. So I think that's, that's a consideration for us. You know, whilst we still have, you know, external, you know, external events will still impact upon us, we have a fair bit more, a uh, fair high, a, a much higher degree of control over our destiny because we do have that cash in the bank. We have a good balance sheet and we have cash rolling in the door every month. We can go and deploy it. And I think in West Africa, the opportunities are, are very good because it's underexplored. You can build your projects quickly as we've demonstrated, but also the competitive landscape is I think a little more favorable to companies like us because you, you're not necessarily competing with some of the larger companies because of the jurisdiction. Now, now we think it's a very good jurisdiction to work in, but I do realize that there are investors who, who don't like companies that are in West Africa. Um, but, but I mean, it does provide opportunities. And I think you can see that with you know, B2's uh, acquisition of Fatola a few years ago. I mean, you know, a world-class asset bought by an intermediate. I mean, if that was anywhere else, that project would be probably in the stable of one of the majors. So I think that's a good example of what you can achieve in West Africa. Well, well, it's an interesting point, probably a conversation for another day in terms of the, the, the premiums in the sort of nominally safer jurisdictions, the, the premiums that they get. Um, but I'm, I'm interested in this strategy because if I look at you saying like Newcrest, this project in, in Kutuwa was too small for them. Um, you know, and they're targeting people with three, five million plus. Um, are you forever therefore going to stay under that that radar so you know are you a takeout target or are you trying to avoid being a takeout target no look i think i mean i think there's i do get the feeling from time to time that we have a target painted on our back for sure um i mean i've i've been taken over three times in my career uh, most recently was at frontier gold where i worked with oliver lenning our chairman and newmont newmont came in and bought frontier in 2011 for 2.3 billion dollars now i think that project, it was a very good project, but that was you know, a good time in the market to sell. So, and in previous times, I've also had other opportunities where it was the right time to sell, and I think the investors have done very well. So being taken over holds no fears for me. I've actually always you know, gotten into a better job each time I've been taken over. So I don't worry about that too much. I don't worry about the Monday morning effects. But but it does but it does affect your strategy in terms of the assets that you look for. For instance, you know you, this this uh, asset you put from in Cote d'Ivoire from Newcrest, it has a very specific profile. You think you've gone and got yourself a, a deal. You've got you got yourself a bargain there. 
be, and you're going to take your time to develop that out. You're self-funding because of your cash flow from uh, Burkino. Um, so that bodes well. But is this company going to be just a cash generative business, in which case, what do the investors get out of it? Are you, are you dishing out dividends at some point? Uh, or are you going to at some point build yourself up for a takeover I, I, by building up the resource number, which is a sort of traditional indicator? Look, I think, I think the, the, the guiding principle that we have at, at Roxfeld is that what's attractive to a potential acquirer should be attractive to a potential investor. So, right. so the, the path is not bifurcated. We, we can travel along the road of sensible growth and not prejudice any outcome is, is our belief. Now, you know, if invest, you know, in some investors like uh, talk to the gold price, so they want a big, you know, a big resource, a big low-grade deposit that has, uh, you know, sensitivity to the rising gold price. That's that's not our model. That's not what we're looking to do. We're looking to to look at assets where we can invest capital, and and achieve a high return. Now, investors, you know, generally like that, and we need to be able to demonstrate. That. I think if we can continue to do that on an ever-increasing platform, then investors should be, um, you know, hopefully supported. That. There's a question then: is if you, you you do your monthly or quarterly phone calls into shareholders, and um, what are they asking you? What are they worried about? Are they are they reading articles like I'm um, reading um, Germany sending 51 million dollars over to deal with jihadists? In you know the north of Burkina, is that a is that a real thing? I mean, what are what are your investors concerned about? Oh, look, I think that probably would would be the number one concern. And and yes, the security situation in Burkina is is a real thing. Absolutely, it's something that we take very seriously. We are fortunate in terms of geography that we are more towards the middle of the country and a fair fair distance from the 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 northern border areas with Niger and Mali. How far? Um, you know, we're sort of 700 kilometres from that okay, area. Right. The French lake. Embassy puts out a map, a security map, and they have a red zone really hugging the border. Then they have an orange and then a yellow zone, and we're in the yellow zone. So, but that's still, we are still operating in the environment where we need to be very careful. We have increased our the security on site. We've increased um, the security that accompanies our vehicle movements. Um, we're probably, we're looking, we're going to put an airstrip in so that we can fly uh, our people in and out on roster. So I think that's, you know, so there are real impacts of the security situation. I think the, the government recently, like we did late last year, sort of decided to become a little bit more engaged with the regional efforts uh, led by the French and the US and some of the other countries. And I think that's assisted, um, to be honest. But it's, it, is, it is certainly a, a, a very real concern. It's something that we are very mindful of. We haven't had any you know, disruption or impacts on the security front to our business, but we do remain we remain very vigilant about it. So thank so, you for that. But what what are the other concerns? So your investors are speaking to you and they're going, right, you've got a bit of jurisdictional risk in terms of jihadists. Um, the, the government themselves or the, the ministry for mines and, and, and energy, presumably, are, that you say they're being a little bit more engaged on a regional basis, but are they, do they make your life easy to do business? Or is it you just need to know your way around the the system? I mean, how, how does it work? Look, you need to. Uh, you definitely need to have the right people in the right spots in country. And you know, we have a very experienced general manager, external relations. We have a large bilingual team, so we have a lot of francophones in our business. So so we can, you know, we can engage with the government on their own terms as as is appropriate 
for a company operating in, in a foreign jurisdiction, so we have to be respectful. We have, I think, a very positive relationship with the Ministry of Mines, um, all the way through to the President. I've you know, met, have met the President a number of times, and he's a former economist, so he understands business. I think he understands the impact, certainly appreciates the impact of foreign direct investment. So I think, you know, so we've found it to be a, a good jurisdiction to work in. The, the impact that we have as a business on the economy is, is, is very large compared to what our, our impact would be if we're operating in Canada or Australia, just by the site, just by relative economies. And, and, and I think I always come back to the point that we discovered, Roxgold discovered Yaramoko in 2011, and it was pouring gold bars in 2016. And I think that comes back to your earlier question, uh, point about country, companies operating in you know, jurisdictions that are perceived as being safer. The timeline for production in some of the more you know, developed countries is so long, I think, I think investors lose sight of that, that you can have a project in Canada that is 10 years away from even starting construction. So, and that's not, a, that's not an issue that we face. So if you're a, a growing company, even a larger company looking to add production, then I think West Africa is a jurisdiction that should be very close to the top of your list. Okay, interesting. So, so given that, and I sort of labour the point, so how would you describe your strategy for growth? Are you going to consolidate what you've got now? Obviously, self-funding, obviously, uh, you know, less dilutory. Um, or will you keep your eye open for other opportunities along the you know, West African coastline? No, absolutely. So we, we have, I mean, yes, I've danced around the topic, I think, but we have a very strong focus on growth. I would think that for growth... But what's it, what's it mean, John? You know, you said yourself, it means lots of things to different people and we're undervalued, we're a growth company, shareholder value, all these phrases which companies use. What's it, what's it actually mean for you? So it's like we, we approach it like, try to approach it like a real business and compound our earnings at, a, at an increasing rate. So for us, the Seguela model is what we'd like to follow. So we, I would like to find another asset, you know, and similar, no, no assets, two assets are the same, but the same asset or similar asset would be very attractive to us. One where we can buy it, preferably for cash, at a relatively modest price, invest money into that, taking that project forward ultimately into production, use a modest level of gearing. So at Roxgold, at Yaramoko, it was $110 million to build. We borrowed $75 million in project finance. We've repaid that, generated cash, that's now $30 million. We've taken $20 million of those earnings and used that to buy um, Seguela. So we think we'll have a capex initial, and this is initial estimates of between 100 and $110 million, so very similar to what we had at Yaramoko. We will, we will be able to put 40 to $50 million of our own cash in that we've generated on our balance sheet, borrow the balance, and then we've got two mines in production. If we could find a third cab off the rank effectively in a similar vein, and, and for us it doesn't have to be a monster deposit to have a meaningful impact. So we would like to roll forward that strategy. That strategy may also look like a, maybe potentially a joint venture farming agreement where you have a junior company that's finding it difficult to finance their project going forward. We could come in, carry the freight on a drill out or a feasibility study, earn a majority interest. So I think they're the sort of things that we're looking at. What we're not looking to do generally is acquire a well-valued development project with a feasibility study attached to it because we just believe the transfer of wealth to the target shareholders especially if you're paying a premium, is just too, too tough on, on our existing shareholders. And I think we have a path to a, to a much larger, much more profitable company, again, whilst maintaining that share count 
without going and, uh, and doing something heroic or, or company changing. I get that. I'm a, I'm a buyer of that strategy. That it, it helps sort of position where you sit in, in the mix in terms of relation to the peers, not just on a market cap basis, answers in the ground basis, but in terms of, you know, why you will stand out and maybe why you can, you know, make some acquisitions where others can't, especially with your cash flow. Fantastic. So, so let's just in terms of just in terms of finishing off, um, let's talk about the next twelve months. What are you going to do? Why should investors get excited um, about what Rocks Gold is doing? And you know, perhaps think about investing in Rocks Gold. Maybe your top five reasons. Top five reasons are I think that we have a growth engine now, which is something we haven't had for uh, two or three years. So at Seguela, we have a you know, and if you look, think of the, the common exploration pyramid, we have a fully stocked pyramid at Seguela with a, an advanced project antenna and then a whole bunch of drill confirmed and resource drill out targets. So I think what investors should see from, from Seguela, our first growth project, is a steady stream of drill results. And I think they should, I'm hoping that they'll be very attractive. They'll see an increasing resource base. They'll see a preliminary economic assessment in the fourth quarter of this year. And I think they'll probably see permitting early next year and ultimately a commencement of construction in 2020 for production 2021. So that's that's a quick timeline, all of which we do without issuing a share. I think at Yaramoko, they'll see continued very strong operating metrics, very strong margins, a continued focus on costs to make sure that we future-proof our business. If, they, uh, if they're patient, and they wait until the second half of next year, I think they'll see some very strong drill results from our second underground drilling platform. Um, so that's sort of on the operational basis, I think. And then we will continue, and I wouldn't be surprised if we maybe do get to make another acquisition, hopefully in a similar vein to what we saw at Seguela. And then I think in 12 months, we finish as a very different company. We've got a very strong balance sheet. We've got a lot of runway in terms of cash flow in front of us. We're, we're building a new second mine with a proven development team. And hopefully we have we have our third project heading towards feasibility study as well, and then pointing to three three hundred and fifty thousand ounces of extremely profitable production, all of which we've done with a similar share count to what we have today. And I think if we can deliver that, I think we've delivered something of a different gold company to to what people may be experienced with. And I think that hopefully, if I was a shareholder and I am, that would resonate with me. And I think that's what we're going to deliver. And I think we need to be very clear that that's what we're trying to work on. If you want 20 million ounces of low-grade marginal uh, gold in the ground, Rocks Gold's not your company. If you want a self-funding growing company that, that executes well, then maybe consider Rocks Gold. That's, that's, a, great, that's a great summary, and I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a unique. So that's great. I'm gonna ask you about the market now. I've got to. It's been a crazy year for all commodities, not just gold. But let's talk about gold. Um, what's been happening? The usual rules don't seem to be applying. We've seen a little bump in the last week or so in the gold price. Um, maybe tensions with China. Who knows? Uh, where do you see it going? Um, well, I'm an optimist by nature, so I wouldn't I wouldn't do this to myself if I wasn't. So I do see I, I do see upside for gold. I think the geo. I mean, often a lot's made of the geopolitical aspects and, and the safe haven nature of gold. I don't tend to, to really to, to think that they are the ones that drive the long-term gold price. It's good for blips, but but it does it's really transitory and it doesn't really have a lasting impact. 
I think if you look at the inversion of the yield curve in the US for foreshadowing potential recessions, really taking the discussion of rate rises off the table is positive. I mean, I think really the, the gold price is driven essentially by US interest rates, as far as I can tell. US interest rate rather than US dollar. Well, you know, a bit the same. I mean, there's, 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 you know, relationship between the dollar, you know, interest rates and the dollar as well. But I think we've started to see that roll over. So, hoping that we start to see some of those highs of the past be tested. Having said that, for us, we've tried to manipulate ourselves a bit. We make extremely good money with $1,500. We make very good money with $1,200. We make even more money if gold's fifteen hundred dollars. Are you going to stick your neck out and give me uh, where where you think gold's going to finish the year at? Um, it will finish um, at a gold price that will be determined by the market. <laughs> good man, good man. You're, you're a, you should have been a politician and a diplomat. <laughs> I'm usually happy to give a a time frame or a price target, but I don't usually give both. So good I man. think it'll be higher toward at the end of the year, but I. I mean, I've been wrong so many times that, uh, that it's... Uh, well, at least you're not going for the clear, you know, I, I, I'll be right. I just don't know when. Well, look, John, thanks very much. I really enjoyed this conversation. And thanks for opening up and sharing with, with us your strategy. Um, I think it's a very interesting one, especially with what's going on in West Africa. I think there's going to be a lot of juniors who perhaps would welcome a conversation from you. Um, so, you know, we wish you well with that. Please stay in touch and keep us up to date with what's going on. Um, and thanks again for your time. No problem. Thank you very much for watching our video. We do aim to give you informed and intelligent information with which to make your investment decisions. So if you liked what you just saw, please give us a thumbs up. And if you want to see more insightful, in-depth, honest and unbiased interviews, then please click the subscribe button. So thanks again for watching and we look forward to seeing you again soon.